1: I would imagine it is the best-known parable ever, the parable of the prodigal son. That is up for discussion next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our series is simply entitled Parables of Luke, Today, we turn to Luke chapter 15. The father and two lost sons. That's right, two. One may have gone off overtly to spend his fortune and act like a fool. The other one, well, he's got a similar story, but in a different light, as we'll see today. Join us, won't you? From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, this is Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard continues our series, Parables of Luke, with a father and two lost sons. Here's Pastor Phil.
2: We often call this the parable of the prodigal son, and that is not the truth, really. This is the story of a gracious father and two rebellious sons. The context of the story you must get All the way back to chapter 14, Christ is saying, I will have a meal with people you despise, the lame, the blind, those in the highways, the byways, uh, the undesirables. So he comes to chapter 15, and the Pharisees are upset with him because this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And he runs with tax collectors. And they are saying, a man is known by the company he keeps. If he runs with this kind of people, that must be the kind of man he is. A tax collector in that culture was hated, despised. Uh, he worked for the Roman government. Oftentimes he was a Jew. So he's taking money on the side, robbing his own people with a foreign army in their country. He was despicable at the lowest of the low when it came to social skills. The Jews hated them. Sinners, sinners were Jews who lived in the land that they were called the Amhaarits, people of the land who did not keep the religious observances. They were just around, but they had no regard to Judaism and according to the law. They did not live by that. So in the midst of this, Christ is having to defend his pursuit of the loss. Now, let's say something here. People seldom ever talk about what makes God happy. We we know of his attributes, that he's omnipotent, omnipresent. We talk of his anger, his righteous wrath. Uh, We talk of those things, but we seldom look at the things that really bring God joy. Uh, To the Greek minds, that is an anathema statement because they taught that what we do here can never affect the gods there because they made their gods non-emotive, non-affective. You can't affect the God. Our God says, I'm affected by what goes on on the earth. And Christ begins to tell them the things that make God happy. He tells, first of all, about a man who lost one sheep. And he leaves his 90 and 9 to go find that one sheep. And what does it say? Look at verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents then over 99 righteous persons who do, do not need to repent. And the rejoicing in heaven is God the Father. He goes on to tell about a woman who lost a coin, most likely a part of her dowry, very uh, precious. She loses a coin. She seeks it. She searches. She finds it. And then in verse 10, we get the verse. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Now, you notice I didn't say the angels doing the rejoicing. It's in the presence of the angels. Who's in the presence of the angels? The Father. In the presence of the angels, God is rejoicing over one sinner who repents. I love this statement by Henry Nouwen. Listen to what he says. God rejoices. Not because the problems of the world have been solved. Not because all human pain and suffering have come to an end. Nor because thousands of people have been converted. And are now praising him for his goodness. No. God rejoices because one of his children who was lost has been found. What Christ is doing is telling the self-righteous Pharisees the things that bring God joy are when lost things are found. And so far in the stories, everything is ordinary. Everybody understands a shepherd that finds a lost sheep. That makes sense. No offense to the Pharisees. One can understand a woman trying to find a dowry. No offense, but now he merges into a third story. And the story, you must go back. Don't bring the story up to a prodigal son or daughter you have today. You must go back to what the story sounded like to the audience he addressed. He's addressing the Pharisees, and the story he begins to tell is one full of shame, outrage, unpredictability, and they cannot amen anything about the story he begins to unfold. It's a story full of shame insofar as ancient Near East customs are. Everything about this father and young prodigal is against everything they would accept. They have to be outrageous about it. So what they're hearing, everything seems to be shameful. And so I'm going to develop the story with you using that key word. Because it was a custom based upon shame and honor. You never are to shame a father. To shame a father could bring a stoning. To shame a father in that culture was to be uh, excommunicated from the community. It was not what we're living with today. In this culture, it was to be cast away. The only character they would like in the story was the older son, for that's who they acted like. So let's begin to just develop What he's saying as he's answering, why I can eat with sinners. Why God has joy. Notice he starts the story since it's been read and quoted by uh, Curtis. I'll just pick up verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate this would make the Pharisees gasp. This is a shameful request. As I've read background material, nobody in the ancient Near East that they've recorded has ever asked their father for their inheritance while he was alive. Because to request their inheritance in that culture was equal to a death wish. Father... I hate you, basically. I want what you've got, but I can't stand you. Give me my share now. And by custom, the oldest son would get two-thirds, and the younger son would get the one-third. At this point, the father should slap him. The father should call the village elders, and they should stone such a man that in essence said, Drop dead. I want what you've got. It was an outrageous request so the boy obviously hates his father and obviously only wants what his dad has as far as he's concerned the old man can die well beyond the shameful request is the shameful response of the father the father not only listens to his request But he did something that you sure didn't do. You may say to a son, you've got your one-third, I'll give you title to it, but you must still work on the place until I die, then you can liquidate it. But his father granted his wish. The guy didn't want to just work the property, he wanted to divest himself of it. Turn it into silver. He wanted the cash for the property. He didn't want to keep the family inheritance. I want money. And the father says, so he divided his property between them. He literally divested himself of it so that they can sell it. Now, what's an amazing thing? In ancient Near Eastern culture, the elder son was to be the arbiter in any family dispute. If a younger child was to take on the father, the oldest son, it was his place to be the reconciler, to step in and arbitrate what's right, what's honorable. He's totally silent because you see, he stands to gain two thirds immediately himself. He makes, he cleans house on the young son's, younger brother's rebellion. And so dad gives it to him. Gives him clear title so that he can liquidate the property. And this is what he does immediately. One of the reasons he liquidates it immediately is the village is now in a position to stone him and to ostracize him because the death wish will become known to the village very soon. He gets the money and he runs to a Gentile region because he knows they want to kill him. He has violated the highest order of the day. Wishing your father's death and to add insult to injury, I will liquidate the family inheritance that's been in this family for generations and I want the money to party with because I would rather party than to be around the old man. It, this is this utter shock to the Pharisees. They cannot imagine. The coin and the sheep make sense. This is outrageous. This is shameful, to say the least. And so then, uh, the dad, they would accuse him, you're a whippy dad. Where's your backbone? Give this boy a beating. Stand up to him. What are you doing? Taking it. You don't have to put up with this. This boy is a rebel and a rascal. But against all custom, never known. I read one commentary that said it has never been known in ancient Near East history for this story to have ever happened. It was beyond all cultural norm. It's a shameful, disgraceful story. Everything makes sense until you come to this story. Had then the boy, he takes after he divested, he flees the village. He goes to Gentile vicinity in the Dysphoria. There was a lot of Gentile occupied land around them. Goes to a place, and notice what it says. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth. He hadn't earned any of it. But he squandered his wealth in wild living. That's where we get our word prodigal, wasteful, dissipated life. He's just spending it left and right on the good time. Now, his brother said he did it with prostitutes, but that was a slanderous accusation. We never told him the narrative that he was with prostitutes. But he he wasted the inheritance, went through the money quick. Had you ever thought what you'd do if someone gave you a million dollars and you think, Ooh, man, I could live on that the rest of my life. I'm amazed at what these stars and athletes can go through in five years and be broke at the end of their career. For when you're trying to find meaning and purpose, you can waste your life and waste your money quick. Some of you are Ebenezer Scrooge. You waste your time always trying to keep it. But there's a whole lot of folks that would rather go out partying. And this boy went out partying. Uh, he goes on to say, "After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. I think something we must always know is after choices, there's consequences. You can't predict when the famine will hit. You can make all the choices you want, but you can't predict the famine. And so, when the famine hits, he's really here. Is a Jewish boy in a Gentile region, and so he went to hire himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He actually, in the Greek, he he glued himself to a Gentile man, and the Gentile man is trying to shake him and get him off. He doesn't want him. He, he's a liability. He must be in such a state, he knew he's just a beggar. So to shake him off, he said, if you want anything to do, take care of my pigs. Become a pig herder. Now imagine, a Jewish boy going to this this low. You're under a divine curse. You're considered the lowly of the lowliest. Uh, You are under uh, rabbinic uh, shunning. He could never imagine doing this. This, this is against everything that's kosher, against everything he'd ever heard in his life. This is—he's with Gentiles, and at the bottom of the food chain in a Gentile world, the man doesn't want him. The only thing that will have him is pigs, and he's competing with the pigs for the food. And these pods that he was competing for, there was two kinds. There was one that was considered a delicacy. that had a sweet flavor to it. But the second kind of pod was one that was almost like a briar. It it took so many of them to get any sustenance. It was not good to the taste. It was nearly rubbish, but it could sustain pigs. But for a man, he's down there starving. He can't even make a living among the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I think this is one of the most pitiful stories of what sin can lead to. Uh, I think Christ is giving the the worst-case scenario of what sin looks like to the Father. It's abandoning the Father's inheritance, abandoning the Father's love, And going to so low, you'll do things you never dreamed you can do when you sell yourself out to sin. And in the far country of sin, there's always a famine. And you will become a nuisance even to those in that country. They don't want to be bothered with you. You'll become unlovely to all. No one gives you anything in the far country. It's at the Father's house that you have things given to you. In the far country, it's only famine. You've got to sell your body. You've got to sell your soul. You've got to sell your dignity. You've got to sell out all that you called your own. Uh, He is far from home, far from love, at the bottom in shame and disgrace, covered with uh, the slop of a pig pen and the humility of groveling for the same food. Who can imagine... Such a story ever told, and Christ is telling this story about a younger son. What are the Pharisees thinking? They're outraged. This is outrageous. A Jewish boy in a Gentile place, a Jewish boy taking care of pigs. This is absurd. Where is this going? What do you want to tell us? In the midst of this, the boy comes to his senses. In verse 17, he comes to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. Now, this coming to his senses is most likely what we call repentance. He, he mentally gets a hold of himself. I am, I am messing up life bad. And he begins to think right for the first time. He came to his senses And as he thinks it through, the only thing that gives him comfort is the known character of his father, that gracious old man that gave him his request, that let him divest, turned over the deed to the property. His only hope is not the Gentile country, not the pigs, is the memory of the father. That's his only hope. And he says... I will arise and go to my father. And he's rehearsing what he'll say. And I'll offer myself as a hired servant. I looked up these words for servants. They had three kinds of Jewish servants. They had a douloi. We get, we use it in the Greek word doulos. And he was uh, almost a part of the family estate. He was treated like a family member. Then they had slaves of a lower class And they were subordinates of the bondsmen. They were under these doulois. But the lowest class was a day laborer. He was a man that you only hired for the day. You didn't have to house him. He had no contract beyond 24 hours. He had no rights. He was not a family member. He's a disposable utilitarian tool. He'll be gone tomorrow. Hire him for a day to clean out the garage, and you're done at the end of the day. So the boy's thinking, I cannot claim any rights to come back, but Dad needs a day laborer if I can only hire out. And maybe the concept was, if I could hire myself out, it'd be the only way I could really come back into his favor. Now, the rabbis are outraged. You see, in rabbinic law, repentance was always based upon restitution. There was no such thing as gracious repentance. I've come back. I've been wrong. Well, let's just forgive it. Go on. Uh-uh. This is not the law. Under the law, you paid at least 20%. And for a son to have done something this outrageous, he would be penalized. He could have a public whipping. He could stay disinherited. Uh, when he comes back, uh, he cannot count on anything from the father, for he has died. You know what What they would often do when a son rebelled like this? They would have a public ceremony and they would bury the boy. They'd have a funeral for him. They obviously did this in the village. Because the dad keeps saying, this is my son who is dead. We've already buried him. He's out of the family, out of my life. Who knows where he is? We get no letters. We hear nothing. He's dead. If I ever see him again, the playing field is plain. we start from scratch, he can't start with a genetic connection, he has forfeited all of that. And so his very idea of repentance would be shameful to the Pharisees, where is the groveling Uh, because the father won't accept the terms of the son. And so they would look, this is not repentance. This looks more like something we've never even learned what it is. It looks more like grace. Mercy. You can't let a boy back on these terms. Whipping, beating, cursing. Let the village council carry out their wishes on him according to Proverbs let the birds of the sky eat the body of a rebellious son may quote Proverbs may the vultures eat you for what you've done to your dad there's no welcome back to this village it's a shameful rinky dink kind of repentance in their world but it was truly a repentance in the boys heart